One of our, our young people, uh, Daisy, is going to be reading to us from God's Word. So if you've got a Bible handy uh, or just on your device, turn it on, open it up, and Daisy's going to read some verses from Daniel chapter 9, the first three verses and then verses 17 to 19. And then after Daisy reads this, our other minister, Gary, is going to come and just open those words up to us further. Thank you, Daisy. Daniel 9, verse 1 to 3. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over a Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel 9 verse 17 to 19 Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, O Lord. Look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Amen. Well, thank you, Daisy. And good morning, Orangefield. Good morning, and uh, it's great to be uh, with you today again, and thank you for joining us again, as Gareth has said. And uh, as Gareth has said as well, we're continuing in our series, Growing and Going, when we're looking at the, the Lord's Prayer. And this morning, we're, in the, uh, we're looking at the line, Your Kingdom Come, and we're thinking on the subject of intercessory prayer. I remember reading a newspaper article a few years ago now, and uh, it was from a small town in Texas. Uh, in America, and uh, the story was there that a pub owner was planning to build a new premises to replace the old tumble-down uh, pub that he had. Uh, and the publican had submitted his plans to the planners, uh, and the local church had immediately started uh, a campaign to try to stop this uh, proposed new establishment from ever opening. As things developed, the church held regular intercessory prayer meetings and crying out to God to stop this bar owner from ever opening a new pub in their time. But the local council, well, they, they duly passed the plans for the new place, and the builders came uh, in, and the work progressed for months, uh, and the publican was busy getting the final touches uh, to the place for the grand opening just a few days before it was due to open when a thunderstorm came, and, and the, the pub was struck by lightning, and the building was burned to the ground. Well, of course, the local church were, were pretty, shall we say, pretty happy about this outcome. Pretty happy that was until the bar owner decided, on hearing that the church had been praying against the pub, he decided that he was going to take legal action against them. So he took the church to court on the grounds that since, well, since they had been praying against the pub, then clearly they were responsible for the demise of the new premises. And of course, then at this stage, the, the church strenuously denied any connection with the, the destruction of the new pub. And, and the judge uh, when it came before him, he looked over the, the paperwork and he was heard to remark, the judge said, 
I don't know how I'm going to decide this case, because it seems to me that we have a publican who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church that doesn't. Well, we might laugh, but I wonder where we would find ourselves in that story. How much do we really believe in the power of prayer, in the power of intercessory prayer? Now, there's always more to learn when it comes to prayer and different types of prayer. But I think that we understand something of the power of prayers of of adoration when we focus on God's power and might and holiness, and we gain for ourselves something of a, a sense of perspective on our own lives. And we understand something of the power of prayers of confession when we acknowledge our own sin and rejoice in the forgiveness and cleansing and clear conscience that the God of all grace gives us. We understand the power of prayers of thanksgiving when we, when we count our blessings and we are filled with gratitude for all of God's goodness to us. We understand the power of, of contemplative prayer when we, when we meditate on God's Word, allowing it to shape our hearts and to shape our lives. Or when we meditate on God's presence and experience a deeper encounter with the Spirit of the living God. But I wonder, have we ever really understood the power of intercessory prayer? Have we ever really grasped that, as the Apostle James says in the fifth chapter of his letter to the church, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective? powerful. It has real energy, effective. It makes a real difference. Intercessory prayer is the act of asking God for something, and it's usually made on behalf of others. As intercessors, we are mediators. The role of mediator in prayer was very evident in the Old Testament through many of God's prophets, including the prophet Daniel. And we have in, in Daniel chapter 9 that Daisy just read for us, we have here a wonderful model of intercessory prayer for us to follow. It, it was in the days when God's Old Testament people, they, the people of Israel, they were in exile in Babylon. They were far away from their home city of Jerusalem, the city where God was believed to dwell in the sanctuary in those days. And Daniel 9 records for us a prayer of intercession that Daniel prayed for the Jewish exiles and their holy city of Jerusalem. And Daniel's prayer has all the elements of of true intercessory prayer. We see here that Daniel prays in response to the Word of God. Verse 2, he says, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the Word of the Lord. And Daniel demonstrates a fervency, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. The sackcloth signifies, uh, and ashes signify a deep uh, humility and repentance. Daniel acknowledges too God's greatness, faithfulness, and grace. Verse 4, Lord, the great and awesome God, says Daniel, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel confesses to his and his people's sinfulness. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. And Daniel prays dependent not on his or his people's character, but on God's character. Verse 7, Lord, you are righteous. Verse 9, you are merciful and forgiving. 
And Daniel's goal in his prayer of intercession is for God's will to be done, for God's kingdom to come, and for God's glory to be known. For Daniel prays in verse 17, for your sake, Lord, look with favor. For your sake, Lord, look with favor. And you know what? As Daniel prayed his prayer of intercession, asking God to allow the exiles to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city and the sanctuary, God did indeed look with favor. And in the fullness of his perfect timing in 538 BC, the history books tell us that the Jewish exiles were released from captivity in Babylon, and they started to return to Jerusalem, and in due course the city and the sanctuary was rebuilt, and God was glorified. And you can read all about it in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. True intercessory prayer, it seeks not only to know God's will and to see it fulfilled, but to see it fulfilled whether or not it benefits us personally, and regardless, too, of the cost to us. Intercessory prayer always seeks God's glory and not ours. Now, sometimes I think when it comes to prayer, where there's a bit of a notion in, in some of the churches that certain prayer warriors, only prayer warriors can, can raise up, offer effective prayer, intercessory prayer. But the Bible is clear that all Christians are called to be prayers, and all Christians are called by God to be intercessory prayers. You see, certainly when we read Scripture, we see in the Bible, we see there the apostles Peter and Paul, when asking others to pray for them, they didn't limit their request to those with any sort of a special calling to intercession. Acts chapter 12 tells us Peter was in prison, but it says the church, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church, that's the whole church family, was earnestly praying to God for Peter. And in Ephesians 6, Paul exhorts the Ephesian, Ephesian believers, all of them, on the fundamentals of the Christian life, and that includes intercession. And he says, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, pray to God. Paul sought prayer on his, own, on his behalf from all the Roman believers in Romans 15. He urged all the Colossians to intercede for him in Colossians 4. So, you see, clearly, uh, intercessory prayer is the privilege and responsibility of all believers, all God's children. So, so how do we better understand this act of interceding? Well, in the Old Testament, God says in Ezekiel 22, He says this, He says, I looked for someone among them who would stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. You see, to intercede is for us to stand in the gap. To intercede is to stand in the gap and to close the gap between God and people. That's what we're doing when we're interceding. Or another way of, of looking at intercession is like this. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes to the Christians, he says this, he says, you are a royal priesthood, a priesthood. And from this and other uh, Bible passages, we get the, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And a priest is an intercessor, a mediator, someone who, who acts as a go-between, as a go-between between God and people. 
Now, in our society, uh, many of us may not be all that familiar with the, the work of a priest. Instead, we may, uh, it may help us to look for exa- an example to go uh, as a go-between. We might think instead of a, of a lawyer, perhaps, someone who would speak for us in a court of law. As a lawyer represents people before the judge, so a priest represents people before God. And this biblical concept of the priesthood of all believers, it was, it was central teaching in the, in the, by the early Reformers, and, and it continues to be central in evangelical theology today. The father of the Reformation, if we may call him that, Martin Luther, he wrote in his commentary on the epistles of, uh, to St. Peter and St. Jude, he wrote, this word priest should become as common as the word Christian because all Christians are priests. You see, when Luther referred to all Christians as priests, he was saying that everyone, from the prince to the pauper, every believer from prince to pauper could offer priestly prayers of intercession to our Father in heaven. You see, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and today we have this privilege of direct access to God through Jesus our great high priest. And this, folks, is a tremendous privilege, yet it is so easy for us to forget it or to neglect it. In his classic work, Practical Religion, uh, speaking of intercessory prayer, the the 19th century English bishop, J.C. Ryle, he, he says this, he says, nothing seems to be too great, too hard, or too difficult for prayer to do. It has obtained things that seemed impossible and out of reach. It has won victories over fire, air, earth, and water. Prayer opened the Red Sea. Prayer brought water from the rock and bread from heaven. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. And Ryle concludes, prayer overthrew the army of the Amalekites. Prayer healed the sick. Prayer raises the dead. on the subject of Reformation. And Reformation in Scotland was led by a man called John Knox. Knox is the founder of Presbyterianism. He is one of our spiritual fathers. And John Knox, he also, he knew a thing or two about intercessory prayer. Mary, Queen of Scots, she was the ruling monarch in Scotland at the time of the Reformation. And she and John Knox would often lock horns about how Scotland should be governed and and what the church in Scotland should look like. And in relation to Knox, Mary is quoted as saying, and she said this, she said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Oh, would that the world would know us as people as fervent in prayer as the Scots Queen knew John Knox to be. So as a priesthood of of believers, we stand in the gap. We stand in the gap between God and the world. and, And standing in the gap, we pray something. We pray something. Now, sometimes I think we, we're, we're not sure what we should pray, but in the Lord's Prayer, well, God has very graciously told us exactly what we are to pray for. We are to pray for His kingdom to come, for His kingdom to come. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, that's clearly for ourselves. But your kingdom come, on the other hand, that is for God's rule and reign to break out all around us, everywhere, over all the earth. 
To pray, your kingdom come, is to pray for the advancement of God's kingdom, to pray for the evangelism or the re-evangelism of the whole world. To pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God, which Jesus inaugurated during His earthly ministry. It is to pray for glimpses of heaven that heaven would, would break in to earth, would break out on earth in increasing measure as His kingdom comes. It is to pray for the return of Jesus. It is to pray for Jesus' return and for the establishment of His kingdom in its entirety, in all its fullness on that wonderful day when the Lord comes back. On that wonderful day when His will will be done on earth, everywhere, over all the earth, even as it is now in heaven. The kingdom of God is where God is king. It's wherever God is king. In Matthew 25, we read of the king's return, of his separating of the sheep and the goats, and of his bringing to fulfillment his kingdom that he has been preparing, it tells us, since the creation of the world. In God's kingdom, he is worshiped as king. And Matthew chapter 25 gives us a picture of what his kingdom is like. In God's kingdom, there is no hunger or thirst. There are no strangers, refugees, homelessness. There's no lack of clothes. There's no loneliness, no sickness, no captivity or oppression. And until it comes in all its fullness with the return of King Jesus, then until that day we are to pray for those who currently now are hungry or thirsty or homeless or needing clothes, those who are lonely or sick or in prison or oppressed. As we pray for God's kingdom to come, well, uh, Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement and the, the writer of the book that we've been uh, recommending for you, How to Pray. Pete's book, he recommend, I recommend this book, and he recommends four, uh, four steps and a, a, a little model of prayer to pray in our prayers of intercession. And he says this, he says, get informed, get inspired, get indignant, and get in sync. I think it's a very helpful little model, and I think it just really briefly, I want to just look at those four points and see if, they might, if you might find them helpful as you pray your prayers of intercession. Firstly, get informed. Engage with the facts. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, as, as the Israelites were moving from captivity in Egypt, and as they were uh, moving up to take the, the, the promised land of Canaan, well, Moses said, let us send men ahead to spy it out and, and bring back a, a report. Go check it out. See what it's like. So, what is the issue that you want to pray about? What is the ground that you want to take for the kingdom? What is the area of injustice or need that the Lord is laying on your heart? Well, spy it out. Spy it out. Do some research, and then you can pray in a specific and an informed way. Secondly, get inspired. Engage with God's Word. Joshua chapter 1, it says this, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
You see, whatever issue you want to to pray about, know that God promises to be with you as you pray for it and as you engage with it. God's Word is, is full of promises and encouragement and challenge for our prayers and for our lives. But remember, whatever area of God's world that you are praying in His kingdom, He is with you on the journey. Because remember, it is, after all, His mission to establish His kingdom. Thirdly, uh, Pete Gregg writes, he says, get indignant. Get indignant and engage with your heart. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with God. And he, and he said to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. And you see, when we get informed, I find this, when we get informed about an issue of injustice or need in the world and we get praying about it, well, it can really grab our hearts. When we start to see the difference between what is and what could be as God's kingdom comes, well, we can really start to get quite excited about it. We can get passionate about it, can't we? And, and like Jacob, or like we see often with the psalmist, we will, we will contend with God. We will remind him, God, look at the way it is, and it, it's not supposed to be like that. And we will wrestle with God, pleading with him to do something about it. Like the persistent widow before the, the judge in Jesus' parable, we will, in a sense, pester him until he does something about it. And you know what he does about it sometimes? Yes, sometimes God sends us off to answer our own prayers. He does, and, and, and many of you around Orangefield will know exactly what I'm talking about here. I've seen you with your chosen specialist subject a passion to see God's kingdom coming in a particular place or amongst a particular people or amongst a particular group. And, and I love it. I love it. I love your heart and I love your enthusiasm and I love how many of you are sacrificially supporting at the advancement of God's kingdom both at home and overseas through your, your prayers, your finances, your energy, your time. Yes, as we pray for the advancement of God's kingdom amongst, amongst the people that He has led on our hearts, we may well find Him asking us to answer our own prayers. Now, I'm probably a bit slower off the mark than most of you, but I've often found that to be the case. You know, after the events of 9-11, you pray for God's kingdom to come in the Muslim world, and the next thing you know, He has you on your way to North Africa to share the gospel as part of a team out there. Or closer to home, seeing people sleeping in shop doorways and saying, Lord, I know that's not the way it's supposed to be. Would you help those people? And before you know it, he has you working in a Simon Community Hostel. Or more recently, praying, Lord, would you provide for those people in our community who are struggling to make ends meet because of this COVID crisis? And the next thing you know, he has you helping to set up a new food bank ministry here at Orangefield. Church, be warned. Be warned because as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. As you pray, Lord, your kingdom come, he will enlist you. 
He will enlist you to start answering your own prayers. And He may just send you off or keep you right at home on the wildest adventure of your life. Now, you have been warned. You have been warned. So, get informed, get inspired, get indignant. And fourthly, and just as I finish, Pete Gregg says, get in sync. Engage with the saints. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What issue are you passionate about? In what area do you long to see God's kingdom come? Well, join in prayer with others with the same passion, praying the same prayer for the same thing. One of the keys, it seems, one of the keys to fruitful prayer, according to Jesus, is the amen of others who are praying the same prayer. We see this, for instance, in Acts chapter 4. When Peter was in jail, the church gathered and they prayed, uh, prayed for Peter's release, and, and God heard and answered their collective amen. Uh, and God intervened and broke Peter out of captivity. And, and that's what happens when we intercede, God intervenes. If you remember only one line, when we intercede, God intervenes. And he brings freedom here in this case for Peter. Because the church prayed a collective, unified, amen. So maybe there are, uh, maybe opportunities to join together physically with others are limited because today of, of our current restrictions. But you can still get on the mailing list of, of one of the many Christian missions and ministries working in the area of your concerns. And most of these organizations send out monthly or quarterly prayer diaries. I have here my um, quarterly prayer diary from, from CARE from July to October, um, Christian Action Research Education, uh, speaking truth into the, the public uh, square. Uh, there's prayer diaries from Tear Fund and, and Open Doors and all those different charities. You can sign up for those and be praying, praying with other believers. You might also sign up for our denominational prayer diary, and you can do that uh, on the PCI website, and you can be praying with thousands of others for different aspects of our denomination's wide-ranging activities day by day. And of course, you can also use our Orangefield prayer points. Uh, we put those on the, the Friday weekly bulletin, the church bulletin that we send out, and, and let me encourage you to be using our church prayer points. So we can use church and charity prayer diaries and, and know that we're joining with others in the same prayer and God will hear our agreeing on that issue and he will hear our collective amen. And the king of heaven and earth will move to answer our prayers in accordance with his perfect will and purposes. Maybe even through us as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Shall we pray for a moment? Let us pray. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Father, we thank you that in your kingdom, where you rule and reign, there is no hunger, no thirst. There are no homeless or refugees or people needing clothes. There is no loneliness or sickness or oppression. Father, thank you that we know what your kingdom is like. Thank you that you have taught us what to pray when we pray. So, Heavenly Father, today we simply pray your kingdom come. And as we do so, we surrender ourselves to you, our God and our King. And we ask that you would give us a longing to pray and to work for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray that you would fill us with the grace and truth of Jesus and use us as you build your kingdom here and everywhere until that wonderful day when King Jesus returns and your kingdom will come and your will will be done in all the earth, even as it is now in heaven. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.